Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality. I'm your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to you from Sydney. This week, we have a guest who's very familiar with hot property. Why? Because her name is Kiani Mills and she's the founder of Imperial, a multi-million dollar nationwide specialist property firm. She began in Melbourne in 2016. Along her journey, however, she's had to rise above some serious challenges and she's joining us today to talk about them. I know you're all dying to meet Kiani, but before you do, here's a track by The Knox and Powers called Stay Gold. And we'll be joined by our golden guest very soon. Time's been slipping away. I can feel the skin older, but we look the same. From my house in LA. I used to worry about the future, but that's yesterday. Cause I've died me on the shoulder and she opened up my eyes. You never know these are the best days to the rest of So far 
Hi, Kiani. Welcome to Feminist Fridays. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you join us. So I'd like to start by asking where you grew up and what your early influences were. I understand you're originally from Frankston. I am. Yes, we make a bit of a joke and call it Frankenistan because um, <laughs> you can kind of see all weird and wonderful things. But look, growing up, um, I really do believe it's one of those things where you you don't know what you don't know. So for me, growing up in Frankston and around that area, there was drugs and alcohol and gangs. And, and look, it opened my eyes a lot. I think I learned a lot about the world through growing up in you know somewhat of a rough suburb. Um, I also did spend a lot of time hanging out with older boys and um, suffered a lot of loss from a very young age. I had friends pass away and commit suicide, car accidents. I mean, myself, I was in a car accident, a pretty horrific one. I had um, 49 fractures in my pelvis and um, had to learn how to walk again. So um, the weird and wonderful came out, some pretty heavy trauma, but as again, I said, it opened my eyes. It taught me to have a bit of a thick skin and um, I guess it's who I am today. So I also will have to confess I grew up hanging around older boys and was exposed to the world in, in, a, in a unique way. I, can, I, I think we might have that in common. <laughs> you sort of just described it, but I was going to ask you next what your childhood and teenage years were like. Um, I understand you didn't have a lot of structure and you moved out of home quite young at the age of 16 and were working, started working at Big W. Yeah, I did kind of touch on what, what childhood was like, I suppose. But um, look, I had a single mum raising me, me and my sister. She worked her bum off. But I think the stability that I craved in life and the structure, um, I guess I got to a point where I thought I was smarter than everybody else and thought that um, I was the only one that could give me those kinds of things. So in my stubborn 16-year-old mind that told me that I was in control, I um, yeah, I decided to move out of home. I was trying to put myself through school and um, I worked part-time at Big W and I also worked at Macca's and tried my hardest to get through school, but um, I am a bit, of, a bit of a social bunny. So um, the social side of school was a hell of a lot more interesting to me than the learning. But look, I made it work. I enjoyed playing hen of the house and um, cooking dinners and tidying up and doing all those kinds of things. But look, at the end of the day, it was it was it was my stubbornness, I think. But um, yeah, home life was pretty emotional and chaotic, and I've been a bit fearful of emotions my whole life. I tend to block them out, and um, so living in a house with um, you know somewhat emotional beings, I really felt like I was out of place. So I kind of took life into my own hands and created my own stability. What was your first big career break? At school, the the only subject that I really gravitated towards was legal studies. So when I did get my car and got the, you know, the hell out of Frankston, I put hundreds of resumes at every single law firm. Um, I ended up getting a gig at a law firm and it was... um, Again, I didn't know any different. I got a traineeship and it was earning $14,000 per annum. Um, parking was way too expensive. I couldn't afford that. So I would catch the train from Frankston to work every day. Um, that was an amazing start. But I think my first big career break really was when I got a job at a, a mid-tier law firm called Logie Smith Lanyon. 
It was a fantastic firm and I was really blessed to be able to work for a major development company. And I had a phenomenal mentor, um, Tracy Bartlett, who she was my mentor. She was also my boss um, underneath the partner. And I watched Tracy. The, the, The job itself was amazing. The business, the company was great. But I got to watch this woman in the legal industry raise her two kids, juggle her time. She would be going to drop off, you know, basketball training, school pickups, things like that on the phone to me, giving me direction. She'd be logging on at nighttime. Like I really inspired to be like her because I watched her have a life, have children, have a family and still kick ass in the legal industry. And, you know, back in, back in that time, 15 years ago, it was predominantly men. So I really, I watched her do that and went, God, that's what I want. So I learned so much work ethic from her and so I think that to me was the pivotal point where I went I am in control of my destiny. Amazing it sounds like um you know you really put yourself out there and you've been very rewarded for it at the same time. Look hard work pays off but yeah definitely you know there's, there's always bad that comes from it and at times it was hell of a lot easier to give up than keep going but it was all paid out at the end, yeah. So today you're the founder of Imperial, a multi-million dollar nationwide specialist property conveyancing firm. You began in Melbourne in 2016. How did you first become interested in property law and conveyancing? Is this something that you were always passionate about? I mean, how did someone get into this? Was there an aha moment when you realised it was a direction that you wanted to pursue? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very proud of Imperial and it's one of two companies that I own. I've also got a buyer's advocacy business, Edwards & Mills, that kind of makes up the empire. Um, but look, I had a dream of being a lawyer from a really young age. So when I did get that opportunity to work in a law firm, I got to smell it, taste it, feel it. But I didn't really know what area of law I wanted to work in. So I tried every area of law to try and see criminal law. I was just way too trusting. I couldn't do criminal. Um, I ended up doing taxation law, which was boring as anything. And then I landed in family law and I had a beautiful boss in this um, in this role. So it made the job a little bit easier to do. But I will never forget that day. I was about 20 weeks pregnant with my first child. So I was about 21 years old and I was typing up a manuscript from an interview that had just been completed where an eight-year-old girl was describing what her father had done to her. And I was sitting at the desk with this unborn baby in my stomach, crying hysterically, thinking, how the hell do I bring a baby into this horrible, horrible world? And that really, really crushed me. So I went into my supervisor and I said, I was in tears. I'm like, God, this is just too much. I, I'm way too um, emotional and, and it's so close to home. So I just can't do this. So they were fantastic and they moved. I was still within the property law. I mean, family law, but I did property. So I did the transfers of the houses when there were marital um, breakdowns or um, deaths or something like that. So that was the real time that I actually focused on property. And that was my aha moment because I went, oh, I still get to deal with people, real people, emotions, but there's no tricks 
There's no, you know, gazump cards. There's, it was black and white. It was a process. And at the end of it, people actually thanked me. That was when I went, oh my goodness, I can make a difference without, and I mean, you know, family law, it can get so nasty and bitter and criminal law. It's always about finding loopholes or, you know, trying to outdo someone else. Whereas property law is is quite black and white. You know, yes, there's some gray areas like everything, but to me, it was like, oh my goodness, I have control. I have structure. I still have people, which is the emotional side of it, but it was an honest area of law is what I felt. So my listeners who might not be that familiar with what conveyancing involves, can you give a breakdown a little bit of what property law involves? Absolutely. Now, it's not glamorous. It's pretty boring. <laughs> from, a, from a boring perspective, we deal with the Sale of Land Act and the Transfer of Land Act, which is effectively any piece of land we do the legal documentation and transfer the ownership from one person to another so basically with conveyancing if you're looking at going and buying a house or selling a house there needs to be a contract of sale and a vendor statement or section 32 the conveyancer prepares those documents and then they review those documents and they work with all the other necessary parties to make sure that that piece of land or house or unit or car park or whatever it might be is transferred from one individual or an, a company into another. So when your career began to skyrocket, you actually faced some quite serious challenges in your personal life, um, I understand. Can you share with my listeners what some of those challenges have been? Yeah, look, it was very much a... Um, I guess, one way at work, another way at home. Uh, Work was my sanctuary and my safe place. I could walk in the door at work and forget about life on the outside until the phone something fell apart. But in the personal side, I found I was so alone, um, alone and pregnant at some of the times as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we didn't have much money. Um, My partner at the time, unfortunately um, got himself into a a drug and gambling um, addiction where there were times where I was left at the supermarket with a trolley full of food and zero money in the bank account or no card at all because it had been stolen out of my purse. But, you know, I I have this sometimes dangerous trait of always seeing the best in people, especially with this relationship. I mean, I was... I was scared for my life and um, when I finally left that relationship, I actually slept with a knife under my mattress for months and months and months. A couple of times we had, I had members of bike gangs turn up on my front doorstep looking for him. Even though I'd moved twice, it was, you know, quite traumatic. But he is the most intelligent person that I've ever met, but he made some really bad decisions. So by mm. drugs and alcohol and, and gambling and stealing, lying, you name it, you know, he, I was stalked, hacked emotionally. Physically, psychologically, um, it was it was pretty tormenting, and it was very again reminding me of that chaotic um, lack of structure, lack of independence. It was all kind of taken away from me. But with with all of that, uh, you know, pregnant at a quite a young age and trying to keep everything afloat, I I believed the lies that I was fed, and I didn't think that I could do it on my own, and I didn't think that I was I was worthy of it, and. You know, when threats came of me not being able to raise the kids or, you know, having the kids taken off me, I was 
truly petrified. You know, it's pretty rough. And then Kobe, my eldest boy, he um, is almost 13 now, gorgeous little man. He he was diagnosed with ADHD at six. And Summer, my gorgeous little girl, she's 10. She was diagnosed with um, autism at, at five. So while kids are never easy, um, these two just had a different way of me needing to be their parent. And for a lot of years, I just, I, I didn't understand it. So I wasn't capable of giving them what they needed because I was in such a trauma response myself. It was pretty rough trying to juggle all of that. And work, as I said, was my sanctuary. You know, my kids yeah. were at daycare from 6.30 in the morning till 6.30 at night so that I could catch the train into work and things like that. But I had to do it. I knew the one way that I could get that stability back again was through work so yeah it was a bit all all over the shop yeah it sounds like work has really been your safe haven and your um you know your your area of structure when you faced this like challenges in your personal life did you have other people at the support network or how did you sort of yeah how did you keep going yeah look I think definitely the kids the kids they they really don't give you a choice sometimes and you know I do joke you know while falling pregnant at 21 is not advisable I do joke and say that if I didn't have the kids I might still be bartending and dancing on tables somewhere living my party life so thanks guys <laughs> but I mean yeah I felt like giving up so many times you know there's been many a times of the fetal position on the bathroom floor going like what have I done to deserve this but yeah giving up wasn't an option and I, I, I lived watching my mum suffer as a single parent and in my era I had so many more resources than she did. So my biggest change came when I admitted to myself in my stubborn independent brain, I can't do this by myself and I asked for help and I had um, a psychologist come on board. Originally she came in to try and help me and the kid's dad to see whether there was, you know, at the, at the end of our relationship but it was very obvious very, very quickly that that wasn't going to last. So I kept her weekly. And I also, once Kobe was um, was five, I started to take him as well so that he could have someone that he could talk to. Summer also sees someone as well. But, but finally realising that I wasn't crazy, that I wasn't responsible and I wasn't to blame. And it wasn't all me because I felt like it was me. She really helped me. She, I changed. I opened my eyes and I became strong. And still to this day, I've got a team of professionals around me so that when I do fall back into a dark place, because we do, we're humans, it's it's not a, I'm never going to be there ever again. That's almost, you know, it's not, it's not possible. But when I do fall, I can understand it. I don't just ignore it and push it away. And I seek the help of the people that I need. So we're quite lucky here in Australia. Our medical system really does support people who actually want the help. You've just got to ask for it. I hear that um, a printer purchase in your early 20s coincided with the founding of your property empire. Why was the printer significant? It, it's funny. This print, it keeps coming up and it really was. It was the defining moment for me um, purely because when we talk about asking for help, that was the second time I asked for help. And asking for a loan from my grandma to get my conveyancing licence and using $100 of that to buy my printer, they were the two things that I needed. That was me asking for help. That time it wasn't to try and fix me. And the, the psychology was more around, again, making sure that I wasn't crazy. But this was the first time in my life that I backed me. 
and I backed me wholeheartedly. You know, starting that with nothing other than me going, yes, you can do it, yes, you can do it, um, and support of some some fantastic friends, especially, you know, friends around town in the industry. That was a really defining moment for me because I think that's the first time I actually acknowledged my self-belief. You've overcome some really major challenges in your life and you've risen above them. For listeners out there who may also be forging their dream careers, um, you know, in any type of any type of uh, discipline, but who are also grappling with adverse personal events, what advice would you give? Look, I know it sounds cliche, but don't give up. You know, as I said before, for me, work was my sanctuary. It was my happy place. So no matter what was going on at home, I was I was happy there. And I didn't take my home life with me. But as a mum as well, and mums out there will understand, we lose our identity so quickly when we become a parent. But at work, I was able to be whatever the hell I wanted to be. So I just, I, if anything, it's please don't be too proud Please do not be too proud to stand up to speak, as you said, supporting. It's courageous to ask for help. Do it because your self-worth equals your net worth. And if you have zero self-worth like I did, you will find yourself in terrible situations over and over again until, you know, me changing me was when my world changed. So it's not magic. It does kind of feel that, that way sometimes, especially now to look back on it, but we can't control the people around us. We can only control us, the way we behave, the way we think, the way we act. So focus on what you can control, you, not what you can't, which is others. So as this is a feminist radio segment and podcast, I'd like to ask how feminism has been a part of your journey. Yeah, look, I mean, as we've spoken about our childhood, um, hanging around with old boys, it's it's always been there and I think it'll always be there. It's not something that's going to... Um, change anytime soon but I think the biggest thing for me especially over the last 15 years is being a a female in a male-dominated industry and it's reared its head many times you know I entered the property space at a very young age much younger than most and without generalizing 95% of lawyers back then were middle-aged white guys I learned the system pretty quick I learned um, there were times to speak up there were times to not and I actually ended up getting to a place where I went you know what the way that they behave, my face and my appearance is going to get me in the door because that's the way the male brain works sometimes. But I knew that the reason that I stayed there was because of my brain. And it's an unfair world to work in where you have to be pretty to get in the door, but it's given me the ability to be able to then prove to them that I deserve a seat at the table just as much as the blokes do. So I used it to my advantage, so I tried to take control of it. But look, I mean, it's not that I'm extremely ridiculously knockout gorgeous or anything like that, but I was young, dumb, and full of dreams. So I feel as though that was very much taken advantage of where possible. But, um, you know, I guess I'm here today to try and reclaim that, change change the industry a little bit, and there's been a huge shift in our industry. So um, the old school ways of... Um, I guess, inappropriate behaviour and things like that. We're seeing less and less of it, which is great. So one final question. Um, Where can my listeners find you, follow you and connect with you if they are intrigued about what you do, property law, or would like to use your services, Imperial Services? I share a heap of personal 
tips, parenting, business and life tips, you know, realizations, reality checks, things like that on my personal page, which is just Kiani Mills. But obviously the company Imperial, um, we share a lot of our recent success stories, client testimonials. We do stretch up the east coast of Australia as well. So anyone who needs a hand, I'm more than happy. I love educating. So shoot me a DM and I'm more than happy to share any of my knowledge with you. Um, and if anyone needs anything, you know, I, I love to extend a hand just to have a chat. Um, life is hard and sometimes it does feel lonely, but there is a community and this is, you know, such an amazing podcast that you guys are running. And I think, you know, women, especially um, whether you've got children, whether you are working or not, whatever it might be, we all face our struggles and sometimes we just need someone else to, you know, listen and be there. So yeah, definitely hit me up on um, on social media if you feel the need. Awesome. I, well, I'm sure some listeners will be doing that. So thank you so much for joining us today on Feminine Fridays, Kiani. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honour to be here. Well, we served you another inspiring episode of Feminist Fridays for this week. But before you head off, here's a track by Bag Raiders called Never Forget because we hope you've all enjoyed another unforgettable Feminist Fridays segment. Where would I be without you?